Welcome in to Two for One Drafts, PFF's Rookies and Draft Prospects Podcast. I'm Austin Gale with my guy, Mike Renner. We have a loaded pod for you guys today. We're going to talk about Mike Renner's perfect fits in his latest mock draft mm. for PFF.com. We're also going to talk about Darnay Holmes. The UCLA corner is transferring or intends to transfer. That's what the reports are. I want to talk about him a little bit. He was a PFF favorite going into this season. We're also going to do our weekly segment, What's on Tap, where we talk about prospect matchups to watch this weekend. Then we're going to dive into some draft specials. That's going to be our rookie matchups to watch of the weekend. Then we're going to chug a prospect. Yes. We are chugging University of Virginia cornerback Bryce Hall. Broke his ankle out Broke for the his season. Ankle. He's yeah, out for the season, back. but let's talk this kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to go ahead and do that at the end of the podcast. Let's go ahead and kick things off here, though. It's going to be perfect fits in Mike Renner's latest mock draft for PFF.com. I'm excited to dive into this one. I edited it myself. Yes. Writing wasn't great to start. I had to clean some things up, but, I mean, it's okay I, It was more about the content. Exactly. I, I fact, folks more on the picks. Yes, you know? the, the content was fantastic. Grammar, we can talk about that on a different podcast. Start with number one, the number one overall pick, which I think is a perfect fit for the Cincinnati Bengals, who will hopefully be the Andy Dalton-less Cincinnati yes. Bengals. They go for Joe Burrow. Joe above average Joe Burrow at number one overall that juggler Joe or above average Joe whatever you want to call him I I think the way he is trending by season's end he just looks like he's gonna be the number one overall pick the way he's playing football right now there's no stopping him he goes up against the floor secondary we talked about on the first pod this week and just looks like he's he's treating him like a northwestern state secondary that he's going up against just finding guys left and right darts I would love to see him in that you know Zach Taylor system uh, brought up you know the Sean McVay system actually what Zach Taylor brought to Cincinnati and they I mean they have weapons in Cincinnati for him it can be executed I think with his quick release it would play very well uh, there in Cincinnati so I, I don't think Cincinnati ends up with a number one overall pick I think the you know the the Dolphins when it's all said and done still hold will still be holding on to that title but I do love the fit of Joe Burrow going to the Cincinnati Bengals if you know come draft day. They're up there at the top of the draft looking at him, uh, his draft card. I'd hand that one in. We've been talking tank for Tua, or a lot of the media has been talking mm-hmm. tank for Tua for a long time. Hear me out on this. Bomb for Burrow. Mm, bomb for Burrow sounds way better. Bomb for Burrow. And I think with Joe Burrow, we've talked about it at length on the Tuesday podcast and on previous podcasts. He is very good on these NFL throws, throwing down the field into tight windows. He looks worlds better than he did in 2018. I want to talk to you about what do you honestly think the chances are that this rocket ship, above average Joe, flies all the way up to number one overall, takes over Tua, and bomb for Burrow becomes legit, and he is the number one overall pick? I think there's a pretty good shot because – well, in the mock, I have Tua slipping all the way to 10 because I just don't think the NFL is as high on Tua as, uh, you know, maybe the general public is. Just maybe, like, the stats will show. the He's been very good. We're not debating that. He's still, you know, the top player on our board as of now, uh, you know, subject to change. But he doesn't have NFL-type arm. He has not been forced to make a lot of tight window throws down the field, a lot of special throws. Only has, you know, was seven big-time throws all season long compared to, I think 16 for Burrow now is just not having to do as much for his yardage, which I can't hate hate on. There's like on one hand, it's like, yeah, take the easy route if you're the quarterback. If you can hit your check down, it goes for first down, hit the check down, go for the first down. Uh, But for an NFL evaluator, that's not always realistic. It's going to be a lot more difficult for him as soon as he steps on the NFL field. So from that perspective, uh, I can see the NFL being lower on him. I will say this. I, I think you're right in that the hype maybe be too much on Tua. Maybe the NFL doesn't like him as much. The tank for Tua hashtag kind of taking over. Mm-hmm. But I think realistically, if you were forecasting or mocking trades, he doesn't fall to 10. Because I do think that quarterback position, where it is, lives right now in the NFL, there are teams that come up to go get 
the you know Justin Herbert True. or to attack yeah, yeah, Iloa. Yeah. But, but I, you know you didn't forecast trades in this one. I think falling to ten makes sense if you're staying put with draft order. And one more interesting note on Burrow: his grade right now, past grade ninety three point five, highest we've ever seen through seven weeks. Tied, tied with who was he tied with? Austin, tell us. Uh, Kyler Murray. Nope. Baker Mayfield. So tied with a guy who also went number one overall. Not also. I can't say that because Burrow hasn't gone yet. But mm-hmm. that, uh, I mean, he's playing that level of football that is just beyond special, beyond anything we've really seen before. And he just has not had a bad game. I mean, when you're completing 79.6% of your passes, uh, there's not a lot of bad games on your tape. Next perfect fit on this one, it's going to be Alex Leatherwood, the Alabama left tackle, going to the Cleveland Browns, a Browns team that is in desperate need of offensive line help. And Leatherwood, switching from right guard to left tackle, has played very well to start the season, an 87.3 pass blocking grade for him so far this year. He's only allowed a few pressures there. He is looking the part of a top 10 pick. Should make sense to the Browns. Yeah, he's really smooth uh, in terms of pass protection I might take him oh he's I might take him over Werfs and, and Thomas I mean Thomas and Werfs are special freakish athletes that uh are so so physically dominant that I think it's going to work out at some point in the NFL Leatherwood's not that level but his feet the way he uses his hands uh is very high level NFL this tackle class is is going to be a legit one. I think you could see three guys, Leatherwood, Wirfs, and Thomas, when it's all said and done, going in the top ten of this draft. That's how good they are. I'm not necessarily sure he's, you know, step on the field, dominate from day one, sort of ready, but going to the Cleveland Browns team uh, who would desperately need uh, help at, you know, I mean, from what we've seen from them, desperately needs help at tackle. He would be a perfect, I, I think, the most the most pro-ready pass protector of those three. And talk about a, a time where the off- the NFL needs some top 10 worthy picks at offensive tackle. There are hmm. so many teams yes. right now in the NFL that need offensive line help, specifically at tackle. I think this would be a huge class to go get one. Hmm. Go get an offensive tackle, draft one in the top 10, maybe Leatherwood's your guy. And the interesting thing about this tackle class is they're all juniors. That's rare to see guys playing at this level, like Leatherwood only three pressures all season long only three hurries at playing at that level as a true junior usually takes a guy's a while Andre Dillard was a redshirt senior coming out last year Dalton Reisner redshirt senior like the guys we ended up liking the guys who grade out highly do so in their you know redshirt junior redshirt senior years this guy's already you know just a true junior doing what he's doing so that you know, when you're that young, already getting the job done is very impressive. Mm-hmm. Let's go to your next perfect fit here. We're going to go to the Denver Broncos. John Elway just getting his guy. This is John Elway to a T. Justin uh, Herbert going to the Denver Broncos at number 13. I was going to say, this one's not necessarily... The other one's a perfect fit in terms of, like, scheme and need, and this one's a perfect fit in terms of John Elway watching Justin Herbert's tape is probably just, like, salivating watching mm-hmm. him. It's probably just, like... That's me. You know, that was me 30 <laughs> years ago watching this guy because he throws just a gorgeous football mm-hmm. uh, like repeatedly. And when he, you know, when he does take his chances on the football field, he's usually accurate. Like, this isn't a Josh Allen situation where duty's got a cannon, but you don't know where it's always going. You know where it's going. Like, he's pretty accurate with the football, but he's just the decision making, the knowing where to go with it is not there compared to other guys in this class. And so I think he's, he'd very much fit, you know, if, if John Elway's going to fall in love with Drew Locke. He's going to fall in love with Paxton Lynch. 
he's going to fall in love with Justin Herbert. So that's why I think that one's a perfect fit. Staying on Herbert a little bit, I think he's received some flack on this podcast. We've talked about it in a bit. We're not as high on him as maybe mm-hmm. others are. Looking specifically at the numbers, an 87.0 pass grade so far this year. He's got 12 big-time throws. Those are our highly graded throws in PFF system. Five turnover the plays. Not where you'd want him to be. You'd like to see him cut that figure down. Only one interception. I think that's where PFF grades can help you. Seeing those turnover the plays, plays that should have been an interception mm-hmm. or were fumbled that don't really get heavily scrutinized. In the box score, um, so you know, looking at those grades and, and, and looking at his production, where do you again? Where do you need to see him improve? And is it possible to kind of reach that level? And you say this to decision making. You like to see him be more of a gamer in these yes, big games. That's, that's that's probably the best word. Be more of a gamer. Like he's just not uh, a guy like Deshaun Watson had a lot of bad decisions mm-hmm. in terms of a lot of turnover where he plays in college. But he found a way to win. When it was crunch time, he was you know making big time throws. He was taking chances, good chances with the football down the football field. Justin Herbert doesn't take those chances down the football field. It's, you know, he's one of those guys where it's a third and 10, and he, he sees his check down open, he goes to his check down. When it's like, no, you really can't do that. That's, not, like, that's still not going to get you a first down. Try to make that throw. Give your guy a chance. He doesn't have that sort of creativity to do that. Down, you know, the throw-making down the football field just has not been there over the course of his career. Uh, and then he also does have a serious fumble problem, uh, already five this year. Uh, I think he had something like seven or nine last year, seven the year before that. Like fumbles have been an issue for him. So fumbles mixed with decision making, uh, he's dropping. Can you Burrow's f- passed him on our board. Fromm's close to passing him. Uh, you love the raw tools, but those are only going to take you so far. Can you think about a quarterback in mind, a comp, and I know this is a little bit on the spot, but that has all the tools, that has the ability to make any throw on the field, throws such a pretty ball, but doesn't do it. You know, doesn't do it when he should and, I and think doesn't take advantage Steve of it. Steve said Jeff George back from the day, who oh, wow. one overall pick way back when from Illinois, uh, went to the Colts. Uh, I didn't scout him, obviously. I was like six, but. Um, <laughs> But I think there are there have been quarterbacks who can you know physically put the ball where they want to, just decision making wise have not. Interesting. Enough stuff. Let's go ahead and move forward here. Uh, another perfect fit on the PFF's latest mock draft, courtesy of Mike Renner, Henry Ruggs of Alabama, the speedster, going to the Oakland Raiders, giving John Gruden mm. probably Derek Carr. Now that he's playing well, I don't think they do move on him before they go to Vegas. A weapon, a Mm -hmm. a much-needed weapon. Right now, I think going against Green Bay this week, Tyrell Williams is out. They're going to be trotting out Hunter Renfro, and they've released Ryan Grant. It's hard to even know the receivers they got. They're playing a ton of 12 personnel with Foster Moreau and Darren Waller because they honestly don't have the receiving talent to even do, like John Gruden's kind of patented 11 personnel Mm -hmm. and things like that. I think with Henry Ruggs going to Oakland, I do think that makes a ton of sense for them. Yeah, I I like Henry Ruggs. I think he's a very West Coast-type receiver. You know, 6'190", not going to impress you with his you know physicality but very sudden incredibly fast great great ball skills fantastic after the catch that that to me screams like a John Gruden type wide receiver uh so I think that's why I put him there and that's why I called this one of the perfect fits uh, over the past two years on uh, 64 catches here has 15 broken tackles like he's his and then his speed is just you're probably fast receiving college football so that's a good mix to have and with no AB there anymore out in Oakland They've been desperately needing someone else at wideout. I think that makes a ton of sense. Henry Ruggs, like you said, so sudden, so fast. I think he's a legitimate game changer. You speak to a guy that you know. You have these physical receivers that can do a lot in, in contested catch situations, but this is a guy that is a big play waiting to happen. I think that's common verbiage in scouting, but I, I legitimately think that. Yeah. I think when he catches the football, he's a broken tackle away from going to the house. Mm-hmm. And you've seen that with his production. Mm-hmm. The guy's touchdown rate is insane. He doesn't have a ton of receptions, but has a ton of touchdowns. It's a high percentage for him. This is one of my favorite fits in this mock draft when I was 
editing this, I saw it, and I was I like, I think this, this one actually happens. Yeah, come, it, like, it could day. easily happen. No Boise, matter where it is, like, I think this is going to happen. Boise State, edge defender, who, who gets kicked inside a ton. He has a ton of versatility at that position. Curtis Weaver going to the Baltimore Ravens, where I think his skill set, his positional versatility is used to the maximum. Yeah, this is like a – he's like a Perno McPhee, Zadarius Smith. Like, you watch those guys. They're all the same vein in terms of they can play with power. They use their hands extremely well. They can they have the size to kick inside or play outside, basically anywhere along the line of scrimmage you want them. That is Curtis Weaver to a T. 92.8 pass rushing grade last season in 2018, 92.1 already this year. Uh, already has 10 sacks on the season. That's his third straight year with double-digit sacks for Boise State. We're not we're halfway through. You know, he's already up there. So he could get 220 feasibly by year's end. Uh, he's just good. Uh, the dude just wins a lot. Uh, his pass rushing win rates again over thirty percent after being over thirty percent last year. Like he is, uh, we should probably be talking more about him as a top prospect in this draft. And if he does follow the Ravens, like the the need that they have there at edge combined with who he is, just seems like a perfect fit. Absolutely, his pass rush win rate in PFF system has has been good for two multiple years now, and yeah. he's a guy that can win with power. Like you said, he's got vers- you know multiple ways he can win as a pass rusher. Great production, good size. He's not like a smaller edge defender that's getting it done in the group of five. He's mm-hmm. a, he's got good size and, and winning with that size. Um, great fit for the Baltimore Ravens. Going to this next one here, a perfect fit for the Minnesota Vikings quarterback Jake Fromm. I, I think this is an interesting one. Yeah, Kirk Cousins on a guaranteed deal. And he's playing well right now. He just, he's coming off the best single right game now, grade. Like right now, like one game. One game. Yeah. He's coming off the best single game grade of his Minnesota Vikings tenure. Talk to me about this fit, why, why it makes so much I, sense I for Minnesota. I think the reason this makes so much sense for Minnesota is, one, uh, this roster is built to win. Now it's, They have a championship window here for the next handful, you know, two or three years at least, uh, with how much talent is on that roster right now. They have a championship window. You have to maximize that. But Kirk Cousins is only on a contract for one more year. Like next year is his last year on a contract. We saw from his tenure in Washington, he is a mercenary. He has no he has no allegiance to a franchise. If and they can't really franchise tag him at his number because then you know it, the salary escalator with the franchise tag, he will be making something like forty million dollars on one season with the franchise tag. So they can't really franchise tag him. So if he wants to leave, he can just go and he will just be able to leave after next season. And so you don't want to be stuck with a quarterback situation where you're basically behind the eight ball then if Kirk Cousins leaves. If you draft a guy like Jake Fromm, where if you're picking in the mid-20s, a lot of times you're not going to be getting impact play out of a rookie anyways. But Jake Fromm season one season season for one year on the bench, comes in year two, and you still have that championship window with the quarterback. So I think that would be a sort of very forward-looking move and very prudent of the Minnesota Vikings to do something of that nature next season because... You just don't know with Kirk Cousins. And plus, you don't know if he's going to even be good. He's been, he was trash for like four or five games already this year. Uh, has the one big breakout game, and also I know Evans back on, but uh, very up and down career from him so far. And we spent a little bit of time on the Tuesday podcast on Jake Fromm and talking about his skill set specifically, but I want to dive a little bit more into now, like what he is in this quarterback class. You have Bomford, Burrow, Tank for Tua, Justin Herbert gets mentioned a lot. Yeah. Jake Fromm, an afterthought, but he has a 90.0 passing grade so far this year, eight big time throws, just two turnover worthy plays. What are you seeing in him, and what's that evaluation right now? I think that big-time throw to turnover where they play thing is very indicative. He is uh, he's on the Alex Smith side of the spectrum in terms of uh, doesn't take a lot of bad chances with the football, not going to throw a lot of picks, but downfield he's just limited. Doesn't have a strong arm, not particularly accurate with the football when he is throwing down the football field. But on the from 0 to 15 yards in that range, 
money. Uh, every, he's got to throw with Which timing. Which has value. He's gonna, yeah, and that does have value. He's going to throw with timing. He's going to be accurate. Not going to make bad decisions with the football. Going to, you know, going to protect an offensive line that might not be the best. You know, Minnesota that also has, you know, some value there uh, because he's going to get the ball out of his hands. But after that, like I said, he's just he's a limited quarterback. That's why he's still fourth on our board in terms of our quarterback rankings, and why I think late, tw- you know, in the late in the first round would make a lot more sense for him than a top ten sort of pick. What's interesting about this kind of quarterback discussion for this year's class is I don't think there's a Josh Allen. There's not a super inaccurate passer <laughs> that's those. being in the conversation yeah. for the first round. And I think all of these guys, you know, some some are more accurate than others, but none of them are as inaccurate as maybe what Josh Allen was and what Lamar Jackson was. And I think mm-hmm. that in and of itself, makes us a very good quarterback class. Being able to bring in quarterbacks that you know are going to be at least above average from an accuracy standpoint at certain areas of the field. Jake Fromm, not the biggest arm, like you said. But I think that's interesting to see with this class because I think other classes, it's been a key separator between he's very accurate with the football and this guy is not and a little bit more sporadic. Uh, Let's go ahead and go forward here. Um, We have two more perfect fits before we dive into what's on tap. T. Higgins to the Green Bay Packers. If you want a big receiver, and I'm quoting you that tweet, yes. if you want a big receiver in this class, T. Higgins is your guy from Clemson. And the the thing about it is, I mean, one, we saw the Packers without Devontae Adams past week and just what that looked like. It was bad. It was was really bad. Um, Those receivers dropping balls left and right. I think T. Higgins, one, can separate better than a lot of big wide receivers, and two, his body control, his ball skills are as good as it gets in this class. Go back to his freshman year against the Citadel. It was one of the best catches I've ever seen. His left-handed, one-handed catch. I don't believe he's left-handed, and he made that, which is very difficult to do. Um, but also, he is the best receiver in the country that I've seen on back shoulder fades. He adjusts, times them. like just All that, him and Trevor Lawrence there live off back shoulder fades. Aaron Rodgers hasn't been quite, hasn't quite been their bread and butter as it was you know, maybe in the early two, 2010s. But he still throws. He still will give his receivers chances when he trusts them on that back shoulder fade. Him and T. Higgins would be a perfect combination in that regard. So that's why I thought it was a perfect fit. Rushing through this one, let's go. Last perfect fit we're going to discuss from the mock draft, Raquan Davis to the New England Patriots. They grabbed their big run-defending defensive mm-hmm. interior like they did with Malcolm Brown a few years ago. This is a guy that makes a ton of sense for the Pats. It's, it follows similarly to what they've done in drafts in previous years. They love length. Raycon Davis, 6'7", going to have something like 36-inch arms uh, at 312 pounds. They love guys who can two-gap. That's Raekwon Davis to a T. That's all Alabama does. Uh, pushing the pocket, rushing the passer, almost secondary that for them uh, in New England. Uh, and that's been secondary for Raekwon Davis over the course of his <laughs> career. Only a 73.0 pass rushing grade, which is a career high for him this year. He's just... I just think he's limited in that regard. He rushes so high. His bull rush isn't as effective as it could be because I don't think he's that flexible, but he seems like a pretty sure thing against the run. Like He just holds offensive linemen at bay. Guys can't get into him because he's so damn big. Uh, so I think that would be – that's just what they look for in defensive linemen there, Raekwon Davis. Getting sure things against the run in the back end of the first round too – with Raekwon Davis, maybe maybe you go another way. Maybe you're trying we would to disagree t- with value, exactly. but it's like that's that's a player that starts for your team. I you would, know? Yeah, for sure. Well, that's going to do it for Perfect Fits and PFF's latest mock draft, courtesy of Mike Renner. Make sure to tune in as we continue to do more mock drafts and discuss this draft class moving forward. Um, let's go ahead and dive into the weekend. What's yeah. on tap? We were talking about prospect matchups to watch. Go ahead and start us off with Duke versus Virginia. This one's not really. I'm kind of cheating here. I mm-hmm. just wanted to talk about these two guys uh, because they're very similar. Charles Snowden and Chris Rumpf, uh, who two I know really widely known prospects. But Snowden, we've talked about before in the pod. He's 6'7", 235, uh, and doesn't really have any pass rushing moves, but he, mo- he moves like a basketball player out there. Like he is 
freakishly quick, uh, very athletic. They kind of don't know what to do with them in that Virginia defense. Sometimes they're like, okay, go rush the passer. You're an edge rusher. Sometimes they're like, uh, you know, you really can't win as an edge rusher. Uh, go play in coverage. And he has, uh, I'm not sure what to do with him either as a prospect in terms of where I play him. Love to see him develop some more pass rushing moves, but that really hasn't happened as of yet. So only a junior, probably going to come back. Uh, next season but he's just a fun player to watch if he doesn't rush the passer well against this duco line well that will be an issue and rumpf is a similar guy but he's undersized and rumpf's actually done extremely well as a pass rusher this year 91.4 pass rushing grade but the interesting thing with him is the way they line him up they put like a three down front and then he roams a little bit and then just like attacks one of the guards uh right at the snap and so that's how he gets like the majority of his pass rushing production 21 Pressure's on only 103 snaps, but he's mainly just kind of like attacking a guard. And so he is very quick, uh, good length, only 6'3", 225, though. Like, so I don't know what to do with either of these guys. That's why I want to talk about them. I don't know what the hell they are as prospects, but they're both very fun to watch, both very athletic. And I think uh, in the hands of a little creative defense coordinator, they could have some value. It screams New England Patriots for me. What they've mm, done yeah. to get good production out of Kyle Van Oy and um, Jamie Collins. He is could so, play, yeah. It, it, I feel like if you look at Kyle Van Oy, he played a lot of off-ball linebacker last year, rushed the passer a ton, but not as much as he is now. They've rushed mm-hmm. him over 80 times this year. I think he was yeah. close to that all of last year. I think yeah. they play to player strengths Strength, and yeah. move people around and love that versatility so much that I think when you have players like this, mm-hmm. there, are, there are defensive coordinators that don't touch these guys. I would never, I would never, I would never coach this guy up. I can't play him at edge. No, it's like, yeah, this guy's it. not a six technique no, exactly I, and but there are defense corners like you know what i think i can do this with them i mm-hmm. think i can play him this way and, and get positive value and i think that's what it screams for me for new england patriots um let's go ahead and move forward here on our what's on tap lsu at mississippi state you got bomb for burrow there but you're talking about some other guys yeah so willie gay jr the linebacker from mississippi state pick six his first uh you know first series of the year against kentucky uh, gets suspended the next week so uh not great there but came back against tennessee last week will play this week, I believe, against LSU and him versus Jordan Jefferson, the matchup I want to see. Because Willie Gay, Jordan Jefferson attacks the middle of the field from the slot. That's where a lot of his routes end up going. Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson. Sorry. No, you're good. Justin Jefferson. That's a lot where a lot of his routes attack. So Willie Gay will be there in coverage on him. Just want to see that sort of matchup. Just how they just how they go up against Garrett. You don't Not normally, a ton of routes, yeah. But, yeah. You don't normally talk about off ball linebackers going against receivers, but I think that's a lot of where yeah. Justin Jefferson's productions has yeah. come from. You hit me with that stat on the Tuesday podcast that he has so much production running against zone over the middle mm-hmm. of the field. You have to see maybe Willie Gay come in there and stop that. A name that you, we haven't talked about a ton, but he will be in this one too, going against a very good quarterback and a good receiving course, Cameron Dantzler. Yes. The Mississippi State corner, this is a guy that when I was watching him before the season started, thought he had had, you know, he's got size, got length, and I think he had some good coverage ability. And now in this year, 82 2.2 coverage grade on the year. He's only allowed four receptions in coverage on 12 targets and 111 coverage snaps. So I, I liked him coming into the year, but I liked basically what he was was all last year. He would just press and just take guys out. He's just ridiculously long arms at 6'2", but he was like 175 pounds also last year, and he would just eliminate guys because he's so long and just engulf them at the line of scrimmage, which is great. Not a super varied skill set. When you're 175 pounds, you're not going to be a press man corner in the NFL. You're just going to get bodied by any guy yeah. you know, 210 pounds. You're just, that's just what's going to happen. So I was like, okay, well, I need to like – right now he's not going to be high on the board. We'll see what happens next season. Now he's like up to 185, so he's bigger. He's added on some muscle, and he's made some plays, some off zone. Uh, one was a dropped interception that were a lot – just showed me a lot more than what I saw from him last year in terms of just being able to play press. So his zone coverage ability that I've seen so far this year – been fantastic 
really would like to see more from him, but he's shooting up our board currently at the moment. So a big big match for him with you know Jamar Chase on the outside. Ooh. Chase not a prospect for this year, but next year. Yeah, I mean, Cameron Dantzler going against this receiving core overall, he's mm-hmm. going to have opportunities to go against some legit NFL receiving talent. If he pops off the tape in this one, I mean, I think it's a good time to yes. for everyone involved to start watching more tape of him and really diving into him as a prospect. He's an underclassman, too. So I think yeah, with, with, with Dantzler, I think there's opportunities for him to come back. But if he starts to blow it up, lights up Joe Burrow, turns this guy inside out, I think we could start to see some good things. Turn him inside out. <laughs> um, let's go ahead and move on to our next game here, a Pac-12, little Oregon at Washington. There's a ton of – maybe not a ton of prospect matchups, but there is a lot of prospects in this game. Yes. I think let's start – we already talked a lot of Justin Herbert – what is your take on Aaron Fuller? I, this is a guy who's had a ton of spectacular catches. Mm-hmm. He, he looks like a spectacular catch waiting to happen, but there, he also had a very bad game with multiple drops. He was on our blackouts mm-hmm. segment on a Tuesday podcast in previous weeks. What's your take on Aaron Fuller and this matchup and, and where he is as a prospect right now? Aaron Fuller has good athleticism, not great athleticism. And at his size, I think he's something like 5'11", 185. I, I just worry about him being able to win consistently on the outside because one we've kind of already seen it to some degree he's been very just bad in contested Mm -hmm. situations yes he had the amazing one-handed catch uh earlier in this year but three of 12 this year I think it was seven of 22 last year those are bad numbers in contested catch situations that's you just can't do that on the outside uh, and expect if you're if you're not a high high level separator if you're not you know freakish Tyreek Hill if you're not going to get that level of separation which I have not seen from Fuller going to have to win those contested catch situations, going to have to be stronger at the catch point along your routes than Fuller has been. I just don't think he has the best ball skill. So at that point, kind of limited to the slot, and he's had very big drop issues over the course of his career, over 10% drop rate each of the past two seasons. So He, he should see some some time against Diamador Lemoir. Yes, a guy that who would plays, be nice. Who plays a ton of outside corner. He kind of splits his time at left and right cornerback, does, isn't isolated to one side of the field. Mm-hmm. I think him going against Diamador gives an opportunity to see, again, Aaron Fuller going against NFL talent, a matchup to watch, mm-hmm. and one that I think when we do get in the offseason and people turn attention away from the NFL and focus on the NFL draft, we're going to be seeing clips of this matchup and, and, and how it went. Yeah, I want to, this one's bigger for me for Diamador because we're higher on Diamador right now. I'm just at it. We've seen a lot of Aaron Fuller. I don't really feel great about him as prospect. D'Ambro Lenoir, press coverage almost half a snap, so he's going to be up in Fuller's grill. That's what you want to see. You want to see those one-on-one guy, you know, the mano-a-mano sort of matchups. He plays uh, the boundary there for them, so uh, the tight side of the field. That's He'll be there at corner every single snap, so he gets a lot of targets. Uh, and so we'll see that matchup, you know. He'll get a good that'll – be, that'll be tape that you go back to, uh, you know, next spring if Lenoir does declare because he's also a junior. Let's go to the Big Ten. Michigan going against Penn State. There are some opportunities, some prospects to watch in this one for sure. Yes, Michigan, Penn State, a lot along the line of scrimmage. We talked about Michigan's D-line a lot. Uh, Josh Ucci, uh, how he did, how he fared. Could he pay? Could he pay? If that's how we – did we ever look that one up? No, I did, I did. I did. I looked did? it up. I, it's, okay. it's could he pay. Uh, but the, the one I'm watching is because uh, these guys have had fantastic years. Michigan guards, uh, Ben Bredesen. Michael Onye, Onwenu, uh, Le- Bredesen plays left guard, Onwenu right guard, have had very good years in terms of pass protection, have faced a very uh, slap schedule uh, uh, of defensive tackles at, up to this point. So they really haven't faced anyone worth a damn. This will be Robert Windsor, the defensive tackle for Penn State. I think he has something like 20 pressures on the year already. He has been one of the better interior pass rushers, pass rushing grade in the mid-'80s. Uh, someone in my mentions the other day called him a possible first-rounder. I don't see it at all. 
Uh, he's not that athletic, yeah. but he has a he has a big heart mm-hmm. and he tries really hard. And his bull rush is actually pretty dope. So Why you him going like against that? Why you got to do him like that? <laughs> him going up against those two guards though, a real test for those two. And it might be a situation where well, hopefully it's a situation where Michigan's down at the end of the game and they're gonna have to pass and then it ultimately loses the game because fuck Michigan. <laughs> Another matchup in this one, a uh, guy who plays a ton of slot cornerback for Michigan, Ambry yes. Thomas, the underclassman. Uh, he has an 89.8 coverage grade on the year. He's only allowed nine receptions from 21 targets for 62 total yards. No touchdowns allowed, two picks, and a handful of pass breakups. This is a guy that's played really well, kind of under the radar for yep. Michigan. I think he has an opportunity going against Penn State, KJ Hamler. He'll see a ton of KJ Hamler, and I think Michigan plays a good amount of man. I think he, he, yeah. he could, oh, he could get man. involved with um, KJ Hamler, and I think seeing that matchup is big. For Hamler, because I want to see him go against a man. I want to yeah. see him go against no, a guy like nice. Ambry Thomas, who wears a number one on his chest and is good. Mm. If you wear number one in college football, you know you went you into it, be. and you were recruited, and they're like, dude, we'll give you the number yeah. one jersey. Unless Florida obviously Florida has that whole thing with the number one got to earn that one but some people some teams use it as a recruiting play dude we'll let yeah. you wear number one and be pretty fire. five star Ambry's like yeah let you wear one? sign me up <laughs> I will take number one eight okay but he's played very well and I think yeah. he has a good matchup to watch Hamler very good in the slot great production here's a test yeah Thomas 62 yards in his coverage all year on uh, 21 targets that's that's less than three yards a target. That's very if you're, good. Uh, keep that's track not, home. Okay, let me say this though. <laughs> that that's production we see from Michigan cornerbacks because they play man. Years. It's yeah, because it, they play man. They play physical man. And they go wear. against. I mean, the, t- the start of the schedule the has 10. been not great. <laughs> and this know? is the Big Ten, not the Big Twelve. So yeah, I mean that is a big part of it. They played Army, who passed six times all game against them. So that that's going to help your coverage numbers. Jeez, also, Wisconsin yeah. passed like none because they didn't have to in that game. So that's a that is a part of it. But uh, he is talented I, i'm not uh, ready to put him in close to the top cornerback yeah. group i don't think he's on that level yet but for a junior we like we've seen it's frustrating because you look at his best games on his schedule middle tennessee great game rutgers iowa illinois you, you want to see more him go against big 12 offenses yeah. and, and get the reps in the slot maybe against, just anyone who's yeah good. yeah anyone <laughs> who's good so i guess that that is unfortunate i think every thomas you have to, this, this is why you yeah. have to pay close attention to the player evaluation you can't look at even just the advanced stats for mm-hmm. pff because this guy's going against one he's going against bad offenses that won't test him a ton in the slot uh, with with good talent and two i think you need to see how he performs against other competition, all that kind of stuff. So I think it's important for Ambry Thomas to kind of turn on the tape, specifically for this matchup. Mm-hmm. Let's see how he handles KJ Hamler. Um, going forward here, let's go Tennessee against Alabama. Alabama always a kind of a prospect warehouse. There's always guys coming out. A name we haven't talked about a ton though, Jedrick Willis Jedrick. Jr. I think it's just Wills, right? Jedrick Wills. Wills Jr. Sorry, that's on me. That's it's on just me. Jedrick Wills. Yeah. Which Wild last name, mm-hmm. but he leads all tackles in the country. No, excuse me. So Penny Sewell leads all tackles in the country in big time blocks. He is second, leads all draft eligible tackles in the country. He is as explosive a tackle in college football as exists. Uh, he probably he's probably going to have. He, he reminded me on tape just physically in terms of how he moved of Lane Johnson in that he just like out of his pass sets he's just like fucking three yards deep. Like wow. right, he just explodes off the line of scrimmage. He's very. Uh, it's it's very fun to watch, hashtag. Um, but this season, pass protection leaves a little bit to desired. His feet get so wide, lets the inside door open all the time. Drell Taylor could expose that. I want to see Drell Taylor, that bull rush we talked about early in the po- early in the week podcast, uh, who just sunned Mississippi State this past week. I want to see him against Wills because I'm not sure the bull rush is going to work against Wills. Wills is a powerful dude. I'm not sure he's going to be just walk back into the quarterback. So that'll be a 
fun matchup to watch. That's a that's a legit. Those are high level prospects to watch right there. Will's uh, working his way in towards the first round conversation at this point. Great in pass protection for Will's, but what really stands out for me when you look at his game by game grading, he has a ton of high single game grades in run blocking, and that's hard to do in PFF system to that's be that like consistent. Most big time blocks, yeah. He's- to be that consistent as a run blocker from a game-to-game basis is, is evidence of power. It's evidence of being able to move people off their spot and dominate the line of scrimmage. And that that kind of run blocking you love to see in the SEC. He had a block against the Ole Miss linebacker a couple weeks ago. In space, climbing up to the second level, just drops, you know, drops the hip, sinks the hips, drops the hands, threw him. Mm-hmm. Threw him up in the air. The dude, his feet left <laughs> the ground. Uh, another another grown man through another grown man. That's that's impressive stuff. You don't see yeah, it a lot. That's yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and look at another matchup here. Trey Smith's going to take on some good Alabama defensive linemen. This is a good test for him. Yeah, Trey Smith talked about him on the early league pod playing great football since week four on second highest grade guard in all of college football. You love to see that, but maybe not the best competition that he's been facing there on the interior. He'll face some real competition this time Raekwon Davis touched on him early he's just a difficult guy to block in the run game so that'll be a nice test for him and then I want to see Christian Barmore a guy who's an underclassman sophomore has impressed as a pass rusher for them high 80s pass rushing grade so far for him uh he's uh, more of a he's a sub package guy but I mean he'll be facing Tennessee's gonna be passing a lot I assume they'll be down in this one so uh that'll be a nice matchup for Trey Smith get a, got a lot of good pass pro reps in this one you know, looking at Barmore a little bit closer, you know, on a small sample size, 59 total snaps this year, an 89.6 grade, oh, 90.9 yeah. against the run, 84.9 as a pass rusher, He's gonna be a consensus dude. four-star recruit. These are the guys on Alabama that you start to <laughs> yeah. pay close attention to because they don't get a ton of snaps early on. He's no. only a redshirt freshman. Yeah, He redshirted last year as a redshirt freshman, and when you can have this kind of production as a redshirt freshman in Alabama scheme, when he does get more opportunities, he'll be an interesting guy to watch in PFF system because if these grades continue across larger samples, size you're going to start to get pretty excited about yeah, this guy I similar mean, to he'll be the, we'll the, be talking about a lot next to time. year before quinnon williams oh quinnon williams breakout year you know because yeah. when quinnon williams did what he did across i think what it was like around 220 snaps mm-hmm. earned very high grades was crazy in pff's raw plus minus grading yeah. and, then, and he was flagged and i think in an athletic article i wrote uh, as part of that partnership hey this is a guy to watch this upcoming season he earned high grades on a small sample size mm, let's nice. see how it go and then here he goes quinnon williams i guess yeah. a bigger sample size dominates with alabama i think barmore is a fake ID, a, a surprise fake oh, ID. Oh, we just threw a surprise fake ID. A little Love surprise it. fake ID for future Give it um, to future him. prospects and things like that. Um, let's go ahead and move forward here. We got another matchup we want to talk on in this uh, Washington State versus Colorado. We got Lavisca Chenault. The late show. He put him up in. You know, you got him in the first round. You you love his skills again, but you even mentioned it in the in the write up, and I, we've talked about it at this podcast. We want to see him win a little bit more in those one-on-one situations. He probably doesn't get a ton of opportunities at the college level to do so. But again, going against Washington State, he's going to get a ton of targets. This should be a shootout. They haven't been pumping him, though, those kind of like underneath targets that he would see a lot last year. They'd put him as kind of an H-back and then get him across formation off play action and just be like, here, you you go. Mm-hmm. You know, like You take it and you run with it. Uh, they haven't been doing that as much to him this year. So only 33 targets now through five games, trying to kind of use him more as a deep receiver. But then I don't think that, you know, uh, they don't have, they don't have the offensive p- personnel there to run a a great passing game uh, outside of Chenault. So it's been rough go of it for him. But I do still think he is. I still believe in just how special of an athlete he is. He's six two two twenty, and he, he does not move like a guy who's six two two twenty. He moves like a scat back the way he runs on the football field. And, so. and speaking of receivers that you want to believe in, Aesop Winston Jr., the Washington oh, State God, guy. I always wanna. I always bring up, but he's a guy that has not cracked our top seventy five yet. 
I'm still trying Who's to this? I'm still trying to get him into that conversation. <laughs> but he's another guy I'm going to watch. You know, going this against Darnay Holmes, which we'll talk about after this. He roasted him at the line of scrimmage, had a couple nice plays over the top against him. He has shown that he can win at the line of scrimmage at his size and and, and create separation, and that's what I like about him. I know he's going in Washington State's offense. The production is largely inflated, but he's a guy I'm going to continue to harp on until I start to see more negatives and positives because right now I see a ton of positives. A guy that if you do draft late day two, maybe day three, yeah. I think you're getting plus production from him. There's lots of like. I mean, he doesn't have a super hard, difficult matchup here. I don't think like Colorado's yeah. what you're, the tape you're going to go back to and watch in terms of the DBs there. Utah might be where he only had two catches for 30 yards hey hey hey! I, i'm just saying but no I, I mean there is a lot to like i liked his releases when in that game against darnay holmes he had some just beautiful release off the line of scrimmage there's there is a lot to like but mm-hmm. I, I a lot of people talk about quarterback i've gotten a lot of questions about anthony gordon there yeah. the quarterback there's not a lot to like that i, really? I think he just does not have he doesn't have the arm and then if you the utah game was like so bad that i don't see how you can like recover from he just was so so bad with his decision making. He did, he threw two linebackers, like stationary linebackers, m- on a handful of occasions. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was just tough to watch. I don't know. Yeah, with Anthony Gordon, I think people see the production of Washington State's game. They had that big game. Gardner Minshew. You, you look like, at oh, the, is this the, next? the UCLA game where each team I think put up like what fifty plus points. And people were like, yeah. let's go. Gardner Minshew's having success. Luke Falk's having. Uh, I mean, he just got released. <laughs> but with, I think with Anthony Gordon, arm strength. Arm talent, not, not there. there. Even though Steve Palazzolo said he flashed a little bit. Steve Palazzolo okay. came downstairs today. And that he was, like, was hey, wild. We were watching a little Anthony Gordon recently. He flashed some arm talent. Like you can't, you like you said, you can't arm flash talent. arm talent. You either have it or you don't. It's not like, like a pitcher throws a 101 mile fast Like, well, he's it's probably in got, the high 80s. Usually, it, it's it, it's just not going to happen. You have to have it or you don't. Yeah. Steve Palazzolo just getting caught in the minor league days. He was, yeah, I was gonna say, I think he he threw on a faulty gun once, and it's like I flashed arm talent. <laughs> Steve Palazzolo threw on a faulty gun that kind of like helped his entire career. Yeah. and he's held. Okay, fun fact on Stevie P. I don't people probably know this, but Steve Palazzolo when he was in the minor league days, nickname pitching tower of pisa because he's italian he's that <laughs> tall and i think he's got a nice little lean but they wrote a feature on him it was fantastic man if he would have made the big leagues he would have been famous like, oh very, dude, pitching tower that, of pisa with that, with that hair with that little curl thing he's got going on and especially because he was like right in the kenny powers yeah like, when uh he's yes. down was coming out yeah yeah um all right well let's move let's forward here I, before we dive into the draft specials where we talk about rookie prospects to watch upcoming weekend Let's dive in the Darnay Holmes situation. Yeah. So, you know, reports came out that he intends to transfer away from UCLA. I saw somebody saying Ohio State heavily recruited him. It would make sense. I mean, I would love to see yes. Darnay Holmes transfer to Ohio State and play as much man coverage as Ohio State plays with that coaching staff. I think maybe that's a pipe dream. But given that he is transferring, he's obviously coming back to school, will not be in the 2020 NFL draft. Yeah. What do we need to see from him? Let's forget the school. It's going to be hard to predict what school he goes to. But what do we need to see from him with his new school to really start to project him as a top talent? I mean, I'm glad he's transferring because he, he did not improve. Like over, From last year to this year, it's the same stuff at the line of scrimmage that he's just getting turned around, same biting on double moves. It's just been not good, like objectively bad here this year for him at UCLA. So glad he's, you know, new situation, getting some different coaching in his ear. But he has a lot of speed. He's got the f- great frame for the cornerback position, not not in terms of length, but like he's a solid, uh, I think he's a sure enough tackler to play at the next level. But yeah, you just need to, at his size, he needs to be a sticky type of cornerback to stay on the outside. Uh, and he just, he's just too sloppy to speed, just too jumpy, uh, too anxious to make plays at every level of the football field. And now we loved him because of some of those plays, you know, the slant route against Nikhil Harry that he jumps, 
the deep ball against Marquise Brown, but I think someone needs to reel him in and tell him when to make calculated decisions with those uh, playmaking opportunities. Improved coaching, improved technique would help him a ton. He's already graduated, which yeah. will help us transfer. So he's yeah, exactly. eligible next year. He'll exactly. be playing. Yeah. He'll be playing next year. With Darnay, too, I think when you're watching him, I think you speak to that aggressiveness. But I, I want to say this about him. Transferring, I think, sometimes has a negative connotation with the type of player he is or whatever. But this is a guy that was calling team meetings when UCLA was getting dogged yeah. by Cincinnati and trying to get this team to rally. Team, yeah. I don't think, I, you know, from the I – mean, a lot of it's speculation, but from the off-field stuff I saw and, like, reading about him as a player, none of it did I see, you know, a you know a diva type of, you know, cornerback or anything like that. Exactly. I mean, the guy graduated in two years, smart kid, obviously, and I think he's just trying to make the best choice for his future. If anything, it's an educated decision. He knows he's graduating. He knows he can play next year i think i'm looking forward to seeing where he goes crossing my fingers at somewhere that plays a ton of man coverage notre dame. dude notre dame <laughs> get out of here um but yeah we'll see dvu DV. is he gonna go to dvu stop where's dvu again um, notre dame now all right so <laughs> let's go ahead and talk some rookie matchups we're well, rookie matchups and we're also rookies to watch and some upcoming games for the sunday slate this is our draft special segment um let's go ahead and start with the oakland raiders going to lambeau as five and a half point dogs to the green bay packers uh the, the, you know, the raiders i want to start with this have two rookies that are performing pretty well right now i think that both of them among the entire 20, 2019 class have top 10 overall grades josh jacobs who has mm. been very good on the ground still needs to get involved as a receiver and foster moreau the uh LSU tight end has had some mm-hmm. success with tight end production too. A lot of it's scheme, but he's made some plays after the catch. I yeah. think he surprises people with his athleticism. Two rookies that are really like adding a ton for this team right now when the offense is kind of looking for playmakers. Josh Jacobs, the guy who should have a big game. If you're gonna have a big, if any one of these guys, Cleveland Farrell also on this list, gonna have a big game for Oakland. I think it's Josh Jacobs because of the way the Packers sort of they will give you favorable looks against the run. Like they are begging you. They will play light boxes. They will play these you know. Bare fronts, which is three down linemen, two outside linebackers, and then one linebacker behind it. So you have six guys in the box, and then they say those six guys stop the run. There, so there will be a gap down. You'll, there will be a gap that is you know, technically open because they're asking guys to play multiple gaps at the same time. Uh, so there will be space to run. Josh Jacobs, the guy who's just got a – you make one man miss in this Packers defense, you get a big play uh, usually against, this, against the Packers. That's just how they're set up. They want to stop the pass. And so I think there will be opportunities for him. From what we've seen from him, I think he's going to make most of them. I think he's going to have a big game this week against Green Bay. All right, let's go to talk Cleveland Farrell a little bit. I put him on oh, this list not because to? he's not going to have a big game, but I think going into this game, he is one of the lowest-ranked edge defenders in pass rush grade and pass rush win rate. I think there's only two that are worse. Mm. He's going against David Bakhtiari and Brian Bulaga. It's not going to – if it's he's tough. healthy. He missed the last game, but they're yes. coming off a bye. I think he is healthy now. He will be playing in this one. It's not going to get better for him. I'll tell you that. He, he gets kicked inside a ton. I think he gets stonewalled against guards against Green Bay as well. I do not see him having success. And this is a bad matchup for him. But, again, it's another opportunity to talk about his body of work. He was the second edge defender. He was taken the fourth up. overall pick. Fourth overall like this pick. Dude, this is the fourth overall pick, and he is – the lowest passer he won rate of any, you know, he's the wor- yeah. he's the worst full time starter in the NFL right now in terms mm-hmm. of rushing the passer. Like it's, you drafted him, okay, I'm just done. Let's <laughs> it's, just move it's, on. From that. It's it's just not a great just start for Clayton Farrell, a guy who's John Gruden's des- son's going to DM me again. <laughs> he's in you know desperate need of of a bounce back game, and I just don't see it happening yeah, against Green Bay, unfortunately. Uh, let's go to the next game here, Minnesota at Detroit, which I think is going to be a very good game. I really do like where Matthew Stafford is right now, being oh, a little wait, bit can more we just, aggressive. Back in that Green Bay game, can go we just talk about Rashawn Gary a little bit, who's also in a similar, similar boat. boat. Yeah, go ahead. To Cleveland Farrell. He has six pressures on 61 pass rushing snaps and a 59.8 grade. 
uh, didn't have single pressure this past week against Detroit. He's just he's been the same. Like, he's been the same as Glenn Farrell in that he does not have. He's been hurt he's by been scheme, go- <laughs> just like <laughs> in Michigan. He's been trying to bull rush offensive tackles, and he he just doesn't have. It just doesn't sink into his, but he doesn't sink and then doesn't keep his feet churning. It's just the technique's not there. Now, explosive has the size. It's just not there right now. I mean, and that was a pick that we were like, I would Chase Winovich is better right now yeah. than him. I think Chase Winovich has been better than him as a rookie and has played a lot more snaps. So uh, the fact that Rashawn Gary is in a similar boat to Clinton Farrell, I'll just say we're not surprised. Yep. Let's go Minnesota at Detroit here. Garrett Bradbury, who had a little bit of a bounce back game. I was going to say, we, we didn't give him a lot of – we, we didn't talk about him in last week's no, pod. No, not, but not a gi- ton of praise. He didn't give up a single pressure. That's huge. So, Massive. All the way back. Hasn't given up a single pressure the last two games. So we were wrong, 85.2 pass blocking grade this past week. Kirk Cousins had a ton of success. I'm not saying it's a you know a full 180 for him. I still think there's some bad games this, ahead. But this is – at least you're seeing it. I would say, but this like is the matchup where it's like if things really have turned – do it against Damon Harris, <laughs> you know. Do it against the best run stuffing nose tackle in the NFL. If you've really turned the corner, uh, just I'm a, skeptical. That's a losing battle. That's a tough. I mean, it's a tough matchup for any center. He um, still looks very good. I mean, you look at this past week; he played very well in that game that they lost to Green Bay. I think Devon Harrison. This is gonna be a tough matchup for Garrett Bradbury. Those short arms are gonna come up. Okay, big snacks is gonna be feasting. I, I'm nervous. I think Garrett Bradbury, like you said, has an opportunity to put his foot in the ground and, and stonewall Damon Harrison and really kind of announce himself as you know, you know what I've I've righted the ship. I'm ready to be a legitimate player for this team. I'm a first round talent, and if he does it against Devon Harrison, I think you have to be really excited for that. Yeah. No, this is a good matchup for him. So. All right, uh, talk to me about T.J. Hawkinson. He's going against a, a good, very good linebacking core in Minnesota. There's a good mm-hmm. secondary. That defense is, I think, a little bit underrated from a talent perspective. T.J. Hawkinson will have a, a game, to, uh, a matchup for sure. Yeah, T.J. Hawkinson, I mean, he's had, since he had 131 yards in week one, he's only had 56 since. And, and I, just, I think this goes back to the larger conversation. I don't want to make it hard eval of Hawkinson, who had, a, you know, had an opportunity to fade last week against Adrian Amos. Ball came out when he hit the ground. I'm not going to make any sweeping judgments from stuff like that, but I just think that tight ends, drafting them top 10, the reason we don't get on board drafting tight ends top 10 is because they don't move the needle in a passing offense. Uh, There's so few passing offenses that feature them enough to move the needle. 187 yards through five games is not moving the needle. Where you, as you see, guys like DK Metcalf, Marquise Brown, guys who were drafted far later, moving the needle a lot more. I get that. You know, they have two wide receivers there. Yeah, Terry McLaurin. Like you. I get that you have a couple wide receivers in Trent Shray there in Detroit, needed the tight end, but number eight overall, like what he's adding compared to, uh, you know, some tight ends you could have gotten later in the draft. I just don't think the value is ever going to be there for a lot. There's just so few tight ends that actually bring that value. Uh, I just, I just wanted to touch on that conversation because after that week one game, we're like, Oh shit, you know, he might have this monster year, but it's just not quite been targets haven't been there. For sure. I mean, you talk about we've talked about tight end evaluation overall in this podcast a few times. I mean, so much of the production is scheme, scheme. And, and getting people and scheme getting them open and them doing things after the catch and mm-hmm. adding there. That's why you see a George Kittle yeah. and a Travis Kelsey have so much success because they're legitimate the athletes yeah. and they make plays after the catch. George Kittle broke the record for PFF yards after the catch from a tight end. I think from all players even. Yeah. It, it's insane what you if you have a tight end that when you scheme open makes some significant plays and stiff arms people in the dirt mm-hmm. and, and gets yards after the catch. It's a different story. Yes. But if you get if you have players that Hawkinson, need, yeah, exactly. Zero broken tackles. That's not good. Yeah. You know, in a word, not no, two words, not good. <laughs> yes, yeah, in one word. Uh Arizona at New York Giants. I think there's some interesting prospects in this two, one. Two two probably 
O'Roy, D-Roy favorites here? Oh, would you I, say you're, you're going to abandon Gardner Minshew like that? Oh, God, I mean, Kyler Bur- Murray. I, I get that Gardner is like the hype, but I think I feel like Kyler Murray. Okay, if he continues what he's doing now. So let's talk a little bit about Kyler Murray. Over okay. the past two weeks, he's had fantastic games for a rookie quarterback. He's really turned the corner these past two weeks, playing a lot better. I think he's got a feel for the system. He's being a little bit more confident and running the football Kyler a lot has more. a higher grade. Are you going to go against our grades, Austin? I'm not going against our grades. <laughs> I, I, maybe I'm just a big fan of a mustache. I yeah. don't know. Okay, don't dive into my it's, I mean, know, I see your, your, your Google right search there. history. It's, okay, it's right geez. on the back of your computer right now. <laughs> oh, that's true. I mean, how can I go against? Um Anyway, Kyler Murray has played really well in the last two weeks, has started to run the football through design runs and have success. He looks speedy, still putting the ball very accurately mm-hmm. down the field, which you'd love to see. Kyler Murray maybe is a favorite for O'Reilly. Yeah, and he's going. he's got this nice little stretch here. Bengals D, Falcons D, Giants mm. D, where it's just... Mm, that's, just a, that's a nice yeah. pair. Three Ds right there just, that are going to yeah. be pretty nice. Um, <laughs> take them all down yeah. uh, <laughs> on a Saturday, um, Sunday night. Um, all righty then. No, but he... I mean, it's a very... He's gonna. I just expect him to go off again. Like mm-hmm. that's he's looks like he deserved to be the number one overall pick. Absolutely. Going to the to Dexter Lawrence. He's the highest graded rookie in football right now. He was highlighted that on our uh, in recent weeks and highlighted that in our articles on the site. Dexter Lawrence playing very well. We turned on the tape just before the podcast to kind of get a big in addition to the production taste of what he's doing. He looks quick off the snap. Yep. Can actually rush the pass or push the pocket, beating blocks quickly. Had a good game against Tampa Bay. I really do think Dexter Lawrence is playing much better than his uh, Clemson counterpart, Christian Wilkins, much better than Cleveland Farrell, who was drafted ahead of him as well. I think Dexter Lawrence, again, maybe is a favorite for d I think Brian Burns is playing well, too. Yeah. And he's got a bye Nick, this Nick week. Nick Bosa, sorry. Nick Bosa, I, I too. I, bl- I blacked out. Nick Bosa is playing black like... Out the, black out of the week is <laughs> me not saying Nick Bosa. <laughs> Nick Bosa is playing at the level of like a veteran. Yeah. I mean, he's putting up Joey Bosa numbers at this Ugh. point. I think Nick Bosa is probably the favorite for d but Dexter Lawrence having a very good start to the year. Yeah, and the thing I love is he's already played 238 snaps. Like, So he's going to be on pace for... Just a little quick mental math. Oh, over 600 snaps, I think. Mm-hmm. Just that's... Whoa. Maybe. Um, Beautiful math. <laughs> over 600 snaps is a good... A, a, a That's good for an O-stack. Like, mm-hmm. he's playing more than... Now, I still would love for him to shed 20 to 25 pounds and play more like 700, 800 snaps. And I would love to do but, the same, okay? But it's not, <laughs> it's not that but, yeah. easy. I mean, diet starts tomorrow. So, uh, so, so but Dexter Lawrence still playing well at that... At that at that, uh, which we'll that I way. think they listened to the podcast because I remember going into maybe week three or week four, we were saying, "Hey, he's only still only playing around thirty snaps yeah. a game." And you know, you, if you draft him in the first round, seventeenth overall, this guy needs to play fifty plus snaps a game to really get that value. In the two games in, in week five and week six, over fifty, 50 plus sna- snaps yep, a game. Oh, yep, over fifty snaps played, an eighty three point zero overall grade against Minnesota, an eighty four point two overall grade against New England. When you start to play him more, and he starts to get you know having that kind of production. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to get a little excited. And so the Dexter Lawrence conversation also goes back to when so when Dolphins draft, drafted Christian Wilkins, we were like we we had Lawrence higher on our board mm-hmm. because Lawrence, while they were like similarly productive in college, Lawrence was 21, Wilkins was 23. Like a guy Age who's matters. doing it, a guy who's doing it already as a true freshman and then as a true junior compared to a guy who the light switch flips on as mm-hmm. a redshirt senior, there's a big difference. And, and that's why age matters. I think you bring up age and you say he's going to be really young in the NFL. I think the reason age matters is because if you see a guy who's producing at a very high level at a young yeah. age, specifically in the trenches, you look yeah. at Marvin Wilson right now, who's playing really well at a young age, Dexter Lawrence when he was at Clemson, you really have to like that because that means as they mature physically, literally physically mature, mm-hmm. you're talking about scratching the surface of even more potential 
potential, even more production. And Dexter Lawrence, getting older, getting wiser, more physically mature, is dominating in the yeah. trenches right now. Yep. And a blackout D-Roy favorite by Matt Krenner. Yeah. But obviously Nick Bosa playing a little bit better. But Dexter Lawrence, you're getting a good ROI if this guy's having this production on 50-plus snaps a game. Yep. Let's chug a prospect. We're going to finish this uh, podcast a little chug. Oh, wait, no, one more. Just want to talk about a guy we have. Oh, haven't. that's right. You're right. Texans going to the Colts. Charles Menahue, the Texas edge defender. He played some DI there. He's moved in, moved around on that line of scrimmage. He's doing the same kind of role with the Texans. He's taking on a very good Colts offensive line. Braden Smith, second-year guy, has played very well. Anthony Costanzo, Quentin Nelson, that's a very good offensive line. He should see some good matchups. He's earned a high grade on a small sample size. I think he's only rushed 97 times, rushed the passer 97 times, but – on those snaps, he's got a high grade. He's, yeah. he's performing well. Fifth rounder. Yeah. Fifth rounder, Menahue. Well we, above expectations. We liked him a little more. We liked him. We had a seventh-fifth overall player on our draft board because he went to the senior bowl and looked a lot different than what we saw on tape in Texas because he did not grade well off during the regular season but had, this, I think, the second-highest win rate of anyone at the senior bowl uh, that, year, that week in the practice for the edge defenders there. And one of the things was on his Texas tape, he's playing three, four defensive ends. So he's playing head up with the tackle with – uh, in a four-point stance, where like that, you'll just never be asked to do that in, in any level of of pro football. Like that, that just does not happen. You're not there's not defenses that are playing in the frog stance like that. And so it's just anything he does at that point, you're just like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with this. Like yeah. that's not that's not conducive to rushing the passer. It's conducive to two gapping a tackle uh, and being able to make plays against the run in college. But we don't really give a shit about that. We want to see pass rushing production. And we saw that from him at the Senior Bowl. Super long arms. Fairly good bend, uh, and so ended up 75th on our board. And we've seen him uh, not been fantastic, not been incredible out the gate, mm -hmm. uh, but he does have an 80.1 pass rushing grade. Like he has been winning, been walking back opposing offensive linemen at 6'5, 280 with long arms and a little bit of bend. That's a nice little combination. They move him all around that front there for the Texans. So uh, nice. Uh, it's Looking like a very good pick there for a fifth rounder, doing well above expectations. I've got uh, two things off of that. One of them is a confession, and the yeah. other thing is a question. First, I played the frog stance in high school. Oh, I man. played D line, and man. I had the four. I had all hands down. It was not good. No one told me differently. I was pretty good. Well, you did it just on your own. Exactly. Yeah, I oh, did it on my own. Damn. Yeah, it was. It was not great. It was not yeah. great. Anyway. Um, and the question, I want to hear more about the Senior Bowl stuff. I think, you know, you, you, it's small sample size. You shouldn't put all this weight in the Senior Bowl. But I think mm -hmm. you have a good take on this and that specifically for the trenches and, and even the wide receiver position, yeah. when you, you can get way more one-on-one -on -one opportunities at the Senior Bowl in those practices that are so heavily yes. tele televised than you often can get during the season. I think that's where you see like a Charles Menhu look good in one-on-ones, where you see other receivers look good in one-on-ones. Yeah, so it is still a small sample. Even the most the most one-on-ones you're going to get there, pass rush, uh, versus you know pass protect something like 20 like you're mm -hmm. not going to get more than 20 uh same in the wide receiver drills but you're going up against a guy who's also going to play in the nfl most likely more likely than not going to play in the nfl so you're going up against a guy which on some for some of these guys they won't face one all year long you know this will be much different competition level for them than they faced all season long so you're going up against guys who will all be playing in the nfl and if you dominate if like you look differently there than you did on tape then well you usually go back and revisit tape why does it look different and when you have a legitimate excuse for someone like a menu or it's like dude i don't know what the hell that stance is gonna be doing you're not gonna be doing anything for that <laughs> all of a sudden you're like you know maybe the guy we saw at senior ball is the real menu not necessarily this guy who couldn't get after the passer from a four-point stance will the real menu please stand up 
think he has been. And you can stand up. At the and he's going up against a good line, though. So Colts line, that's why it's a nice matchup to I'm, watch. I'm excited. Uh, let's go ahead and chug a prospect. This is our segment where we kind of talk a prospect in full, drink him down. And the reason we're bringing up this guy, Virginia cornerback Bryce Hall, he is out for the season. And he got this mm. injury on punt coverage. <sighs> on punt coverage. But, but you know, the, the scouts love to see guys play special Stop. teams. Stop. I don't love to see it on special teams. You get hurt right? and you have a season-ending injury on punt coverage. Come on. But. This guy deserves better. But Bryce Hall... Talk to me about him. Chug this guy down. Okay. So, I'll give you this I still don't point. love that. I still don't love saying chug, chug this him. guy down. But, again, here we go. Well, don't say chug this guy down. Yeah, that th- makes it sound yeah, weird. Yeah, that makes it sound weird. Chug a prospect, Bryce Hall. Chug a prospect, Bryce Hall. Okay. <laughs> I'll give you uh, plus and minuses here on this from the sky report. From the draft guy. Ideal size and length for the corner position. <laughs> I'm sorry. Pterodactyl-esque wingspan that makes him a PBU machine. I think he had 18 PBUs last year. Keys hitches at an elite level. Can track both QB and wide receiver from off coverage consistently wins the leverage battle down the field, quick to locate and box out receivers, envelops wideouts at the line of scrimmage and takes them out of the progression. Diverse coverage responsibilities in Virginia's defense. Negatives. Loses a good deal of speed when forced to flip his hips and run off coverage. A little stiff. Flipping hips from off coverage. Didn't love that on his tape. Gets caught upright out of his pedal. Slow to change directions at times. So he's a little, we're talking like a cover three mm-hmm. type of cornerback here. Takes advantage of the college legal contact penalty, lack of legal contact penalty. Was very physical and not necessarily a burner. I expect him to run the four fives uh, if he does. Get I, lo- I really do like your comp so. for him. Give me your comp. Byron Maxwell. Yeah. Byron Maxwell comp for him. Yeah, I think I that think makes just, sense. Yeah. In a in a silo, you know those vertical routes. He's you're not going to beat him much. Mm-hmm. He's just going to be good at those. Other stuff, uh, we'll see. It remains to be seen. I, I don't think he's been great, but I think this past year, quarterback sort of wised up, stopped targeting him. Uh, only 27 targets through the first half of the season after he had something like 80. It was on pace for 30 fewer targets than last year. Just like The guys weren't throwing at him. So the PBU numbers weren't there, but he still was not giving up a lot of catches. So uh, I still think we have Bryce Hall's first rounder when it's all said and done. And I mean, in, tw- in 2018, he led the nation in forcing completions. This is a guy that yeah. he did attack at the catch point and, and, and made and some he, plays. And he's got, so he's 6'1", 200, ideal size, and he's going to have something like 33, 34-inch arms. Like he's going to have long arms. So he's he has that modern cornerback build that you like and talk to him i talked to him before the season started and the biggest takeaway dude smart as hell really smart guy played wide out in high school talked a ton about film study picking up tendencies more than just player tendencies he talks about recognizing route combinations and formations what personnel are they in and and, and he even you you love that i I love love that that, but who doesn't love that i mean you talk about you talk about these guys and the all these like the best athletes in the world these are Mm. the best athletes in the world that go to the nfl what i love more than that is people that pay attention to this complex game that we at pff talk about all the the time we talk about the complexity of the game more sometimes more than we talk about player evaluation scheme personnel how it affects things and Mm. man versus zone coverage all that stuff Stuff, why is it no different when this player who's actually executing these complex schemes isn't also as invested as like the analysts and stuff like that? I think it's That's important. a nice little rant. I, I'm, sorry. I, I'm sorry, but <laughs> I, I really do feel that way. I said it was nice. I really do feel that way about the players because mm-hmm. there's so so often we talk about coaches who don't put a good scheme together. Or it's like, still real to me. Exa- it. It's still real to me. Damn it. But again, I, I really do appreciate the guys like Bryce Hall and the guys like Jonah Williams. These uh-huh. other guys where you talk to them and like I watch a ton of film. I try and master class the offense or the defense yeah. and opposing scheme and all that stuff because I know that stuff matters and it does and you see that on tape with Bryce Hall. That was my rant and, and, and I feel I feel good about that. You chugged him down good. I chugged him down. <laughs> We're gonna change the verbiage on that <laughs> segment, but we are not changing much about this podcast. We are hitting. I didn't even say this, but you can tune in at the beginning. I usually say this, but. You can tune into this live on YouTube Tuesdays mm. and Thursdays. You can also catch us on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. This has been Austin Gale and Mike Renner on Super One Draft.